profit is not cash. I'm conscious saying I'm going to launch a Facebook ad today. Everyone can only handle racing. I feel like we need to stop putting ourselves in restrictions. What do you actually want out of your business? You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Zoe Galilla Springer. For your industry, by your industry. Have you ever heard Henry Ford's famous quote, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right? Well, here's the thing. Our brains are very good at finding supporting evidence for the things we believe can or cannot be done. That's why to overcome what our brains see as obstacles, whether they seem insurmountable or not, we need constant forward motion. Forward motion. Necessary in life, just like it is in business. But myths and self-limiting beliefs can hinder our progress, have us react in different ways, avoidance, dread fight, flight, or freeze responses, negative self-talk, you name it. And just to be clear, regardless of our age, experience, or background, most of us have some form of limiting belief, if not more than one. The act of moving forward, as toward a goal, requires intentional work. And that's why I asked a Trailblazer Salon owner friend and professor with Pip University to join me on today's episode as we spend some time discussing dread, assumptions we have about our businesses, and self-limiting core beliefs that can inhibit business growth. I've had my salon for 13 years, but back in 2019 when I reached out to Heather, I was stuck at that seven to $800,000 mark with like a 10% profit margin, give or take, not behind the chair, pulling a salary as well. But I had a cash-eating cow. At some point, you have to just get out of being a creature of habit, take a little bit of risk, get uncomfortable. That's really, I think, people avoid being uncomfortable. I do do a lot of things afraid. Um, like moving, when we moved from commission to, to being team-based pay, like that was probably the most scared I've ever been. One, I surround myself with people that are way smarter than me. And I also surround myself with people that are living the life or doing the things that I want to do. Jen Baudier is the creator and co-owner of Bella Style Salon in Louisiana and a professor with Pip University. Her focus is to grow leaders in her company with the goal of creating and retiring beauty professionals. Jen's a firm believer that numbers not only tell a story, but are an indicator of behaviors. She's in fact been studying and learning the behaviors associated with increasing profits and operates Bella Style Salon on the profit-first philosophies. Today, she works with salon owners all over the world, supporting them in increasing profit margins through the tailored pricing structure and the profit-off-the-top systems that deliver results. Without further ado, welcome back to Forest FM, Jen. It's always a pleasure to collaborate and have a chat with you. Really happy you've been able to join me for this episode. Yeah, thank you for having me and um, Heather. Well, she was going to join us, but she was unable to, so I appreciate you having me. Yeah, and like I was saying off air earlier, like we'll make sure to get Heather on an episode of season seven. So spoiler alert, everyone. Um, but, but seriously, something all three of us, you, me and Heather have in common, and I'm sure many listeners out there too, is the importance we place on growth and development. So I'm going to I'm going to try to keep this segue into my first question short. Um, I recently got an email from a meditation app called 10% Happier. They, they were launching a podcast miniseries and a five-day challenge called The Dread Project. And honestly, like I've been noticing the feeling of dread in me a lot this year, so that email felt personal, um, and, I, and I signed right up. Uh, the, the first journaling prompt had me reflect on these four questions. Mm-hmm. When do I feel dread the most? What does it feel like? What color or shape does it have? And what is it trying to tell me? 
And now what I want to know is, how does dread feel to you? And and what do you think it's trying to tell you? And I'm more than happy to share my own reflections on these questions, by the way. But let's use this as a start to today's conversation. Oh, my goodness. Um, so dread. I think I have two stages of dread. I have one stage that's Netflix dread that I'm like, <laughs> yep, hiding in a room. No one talk to me. No one look at me. My husband will come home maybe for lunch or something and see me in the bed and be like, how long have you been here for? <laughs> so like basically yeah. I've just froze. I don't know what else to do. So I don't know that it has a color, but it has definitely like a, 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 a freeze where you're at. Don't move. Don't do anything. Don't talk to anyone. Um, but the other stage of dread for me is like overachiever. So like getting on stage. Right. So right. I want to do it, but I am scared shitless to do it. So <laughs> then I got asked to do um, two different events this year, but I started planning like 10 months prior, you know, and like all my mentors were like, wait a minute. We normally write our presentations like two or three months before we get on stage. I'm like, no, 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 no. I have to have full control. <laughs> I need to do this. Like, like I got asked today. I need my presentation to be done tomorrow because like I need to be practicing for the next hundred years. So right. um, I guess that, that is like my two forms um, is like, I guess, just avoidance or like massive obsession. That's, <laughs> and no, they're so widely no different. There's like no middle, right? Yeah. <laughs> No metal at all. To, so that it's, I'm just either oblivious to it or there's just these two stages. So, you know, it, it works for me for now. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know what? Like, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that relate to avoidance. It's it's just much easier to push discomfort to the side and go with go on with our life as if it's not there, right? Like ignore it until you actually have to do something about it. Yep. Heather will really fuss at me and be like, no, you need to sit. You just need to sit and you need to figure it out. Because like <laughs> the avoidance part, is, I don't know how to do that. So I can't do that. And she's like, girl, Google it, figure it out. Sit in front of that laptop. Do not get up until you have it figured out. I'm like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Heather. Um, so, so yeah, like I said, I was happy to share my answers to those questions too. For me, dread definitely has a shape and color. Um, the more that I sat with it when I was doing the challenge, the, the, the clearer it became. So like dread feels like someone spilling a little bottle of black ink mm -hmm. and like an oil spill, like it gets everywhere. It feels like it's going in all of my neurological pathways. It's black ink, insidious, and it gets on everything. And in that sense, I do relate to what you were saying earlier about being in like freeze mode. I don't think I disassociate with Netflix as much, but things do get really intense in my head and I'll likely be ruminating a lot. So, you know, not exactly any healthier. <laughs> Well, that's just one way. Yeah, I guess so. So listen, I wanted to start this conversation on the topic of dread because with the coaching you do at PIP University, I'm sure that you come face to face with many owners dread around implementing new systems, having hard conversations with their teams. I mean, maybe even just getting to know their numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you went through the process of implementing new systems yourself. And so what I want to maybe start with is if you were to look back at that experience, like when you reached out for help from Heather, um, on a scale of one to 10, how would you have rated your dread then? Uh, ooh, I'd say maybe like a, I mean, I've always been a numbers person. Like anyone that knows me, like I, I just, uh, I do appreciate the numbers very much. Yeah. But I, 
I'd probably say like a six or a seven, I guess. I mean, I was the typical salon owner and, you know, let's see, I've had my salon for 13 years, but back in 2019, when I reached out to Heather, I was stuck at that seven to $800,000 mark with like a 10% profit margin, give or take, not behind the chair, pulling a salary as well. Mm-hmm. But I had a cash eating cow, literally like a little freaking gremlin that just was like <laughs> sucking the life out of my banking account every time I turned around. And so yeah. that was probably the number side that I was just like, all right, I understand the numbers. I understand the benchmarks. I see what when money comes in, where it's going. And like I'd already read, read profit first and mm-hmm. had the banking accounts. But of course, like the majority of the owners that you talk to that have done the same never did a transfer, never moved money around. We just had the banking accounts because we thought that's what we needed to do. So the numbers part, like the dread was just getting on a budget, not spending on the things that you know you don't really need, but you keep saying yes to everything, every little advertising, every, you know, your team members request this, they want that, they want, they constantly want something every time you turn around or you're constantly out of something. Mm, it's like, yeah, you can make an Amazon order every single day. So just being able to like, one, stand up to our teams and be like, no, this is our budget. This is based on what we sold for the last month or two weeks ago, what, however you're doing, how often. And we get to figure this out moving forward is the only way I was able to get, you know, out from the little gremlin that was sucking the life out of my banking account. (laughs) And when you realized that you had to do that and like had to, I guess, stand up to your team and say, no, really, like did that, did you feel or experience dread in in regards to that as well? Like, were you scared (laughs) about doing that? Yes. You don't, the worst thing we want to do is tell our teams no, because the, the biggest fear you ask any owner is having a walkout. Like just being, Mm. one, you're so emotionally tied to these people, but then you spend so much time and money building them, hiring them from school, training them for them to just walk out with 130, 200K, whatever it is that they're doing behind your chair. And so you take it personal. But so you're like, you want to say yes to everything because you want to keep them happy. But then in the same sense, it's like they're taking home a paycheck, but most of our owners are not taking home paychecks. It's like we make sure our teams are paid. And we're telling them yes to everything at our expense. You know, we're the ones that aren't able to pay our own personal bills. You know, we're the ones that are not able to make investing. Like, you know, we have chairs falling down and stations that need to be fixed and things like that. And it's because we're so scared to tell them no. Or we're so scared to get them involved in the process of what, like being transparent with our numbers so Mm -hmm. that they can help be part of the process. It's like, we're so scared to overshare. And it's like, for me, it's the opposite. I'm like, here, sister, this is where it came in. This is where every dollar went. And this is how much we have left. This is how much I'm taking. Yeah. And this is how much we're going to put back to the business. And, you know, maybe that doesn't work for every location. It just works for us to just be super transparent. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're more transparent, you're likely to have, like the staff is likely to have more clarity around what's, you know, why certain goals are what they are and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it it makes sense. So we've got a lot to cover today and I'd like to break it up into, I guess, like two chapters almost, you know, like chapter A, how, like a discussion around how we can develop a myth-busting practice um, when it comes to assumptions we have about our businesses and chapter B, to talk about myths about being an entrepreneur or about business in general, um, discuss like what self-limiting core beliefs they're linked to and how they can inhibit business growth. So to start with A, um, I read an article that said, and I love this, 
We often phrase our myths in ways that make them impossible to prove or disprove. Since growth and innovation relies on bringing curiosity to the table, being willing to explore options and taking action, something I think you guys do very well at Pip University, by the way, how could we breathe a bit more space into the following assumption or like rephrase it to be able to have room to test it out, to do different things or try different things? You ready? It's impossible for my salon to reach 20% in profits after we've paid everything else. Um, super easy. I'm going to pull 20% profit first. What do we need to bring in to make sure that we pay all our bills and our teams? Right. So that's the mindset that we teach. And that's how I, that's how we all run our salons. And we teach our Rich Life CEO students to run their salons. So it's like if most salons aren't pulling a profit at all because they have the cash eating cow or gremlin, as I say. So we just say, all right, well, guess what? We get to start with 5%. So we're going to start with 5% today. And you, when you sit down and do payroll, you're going to move that into your account. And then you're going to move your payroll and taxes into that account. And then what is left is what you have to operate on. Now, sometimes what's left isn't enough to pay for what you have. But that's where you start to get really disciplined. And, okay, well, we get to go through our expenses, mm -hmm. see what fat we can cut, because you can absolutely trim at least 10% off. I mean, I did it just a few weeks ago, calling insurance companies and subscriptions that you forget about that you sign up for and you forget to turn off. Like if you just did that once a quarter, that's a few hundred dollars right there. So then the, the, the second phase to that is like, okay, we just wait for money to come to us. Like we just wait for the phones to ring. We just wait for someone to email us or to respond to us on social media. Like we're salesmen. Mm -hmm. We sell time and product all day, every day. You just happen to do hair or you happen to have a salon full of people that do hair in there, but we are salesmen. So like a good salesman, you go figure out how to bring the revenue to the table. So we're constantly like, I know down to the dollar what my salon has to do every week to pay everyone, pay our expenses and profit. Right now I'm doing anywhere from 10 to 15%. When you're in growth mode, you're obviously going to profit a little less. And that's the sacrifice that you make in order to get to the next level. Yeah. Now, if I just want to sustain, I could easily pull. I mean, I did have just a big shift in team members, but on a normal basis, I could make myself pull 15%, you know, and work my way back up if you're not in growth mode. So there's stages of business. Like you can't just say, this is a one and done, turn it off. I'm going to just now autopilot. If you want to continue to grow, you're going to have to take some of that profit and reinvest back in your salon. So. Mm -hmm. So what about a second one then? There's no practical way for our salon to compete with Amazon selling retail and our clients buying from them rather than us. Oh, I mean, I, I hear it constantly, like especially like with, you know, these product companies, they, they're selling direct to consumer now. Okay, who cares? Yeah. The guest is in your salon, in your chair, held captive for the last two hours, getting her hair color and cut done. <laughs> held captive. Your stylist is running <laughs> in the back room, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly. Your stylist is sitting in the back room playing on her phone. She's like, if she was with her guests, pre-booking them for their next visit, recommending their home care, doing it in their consultation, the guests, we like convenience. That's why we have DoorDash. That's why we have Uber Eats, freaking Instacart. All of that stuff wasn't developed for no reason. People are lazy. I'm lazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing anything for Thanksgiving cooking. Like, we're going to eat somewhere. So... We just need to make it so easy for the consumer to say yes in our salons when they're held captive. The problem is, is that 99% of the time, we are not even talking about product to the, to the guests. 
And then we're not asking for the sale. We're not closing it. We're just saying, okay, bye. Go have fun. Figure it out on Amazon. That's the story we're telling ourselves. And we just need to quit telling ourselves that story. Yes, you have the outliers. Yes, you have people that are going to buy it on Amazon. I buy shit on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So if do I. That, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's like it, that you're, you're never going to win all the sales. You just need a portion of it. So, I mean, and our, our products are marked up higher than MSRP. And I, we've been doing that for the last seven years. It's how we pay for continuing education. It's how we pay for our team's PTO. Like, I mean, I don't care that they can get on Aveda and buy Aveda somewhere else cheaper or Amazon. Mm -hmm. That's not our guess, I guess. But I mean, the majority of our guests are going to purchase as long as we've made the recommendation. Right. So Jen, I could give you statements like that all day and we can rephrase them all day too. But once you do flip your mindset around, like how do you know if it's actually worth investigating that? Like, how do you decide what you should go in full steam ahead with testing or goal setting versus what you set aside? Um, do you go by potential business benefits? Like, how do you decide that in your business specifically? Well, one, I surround myself with people who are way smarter than me. And I also surround myself with people that are living the life or doing the things that I want to do. So obviously, if they are doing things in their business that I aspire to have or be, then I'm going to go ask them, hey, tell me how you did that. I need to know. Because instead of me trying to go figure it out for the next 10 to 15 years, I might as well just ask you how the hell you did it so I can do it quicker. So I think that people just asking for help and then is one big thing. And then also like looking at who you're asking for help. If you're going and you're being taught by someone that's not in the salon industry or has never owned a salon or hasn't owned a salon in 30 years, I, I might think that they're, you know, thing, their philosophies or their ideas might be a little dated. Um, so I would definitely yeah. just, I don't know. That's what I did with Heather in 2019. I thought I needed a new product line because, you know, clearly whatever she was doing, I thought that that was what the magic was because she used to be a Veda and then went to Euphoria and now she's back with a Veda as well. But I was like, whatever you're drinking, whatever Kool-Aid it is, I definitely need some. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't a product line. It was, I needed the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes. Now, and now I get to serve Kool-Aid. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. But like, we moved to being no Saturdays, and we're very few salons in the country are, are doing that. And so I'm the first in our group, and there wasn't a whole lot of people I could ask for that data. And now I get to share my data, though, with other people. I'm like, hey, um, I, I don't do it yet. It's too mm-hmm. soon. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely did it a little premature. I should have waited and had a little bit more data for sure. So there's like there's things obviously I've even done like because I'm pretty bold. But if I see something I want, I'm just like, yep, do it, done. I'll figure it out. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes it comes with a few uh, road bumps, face plants. <laughs> yeah, face right. plants. So yeah. Um, but I'm an open book. So I mean, I, people DM. Even if they don't want to work with Pip, they just see things that we're doing in my own salon or whatnot. And they're like, ask tons of questions. And I'm like, here, this is what, don't do that one. I did that one and I can't get out of it. I'm stuck. You don't want to do it. So to recap then, before we move on to chapter B of the conversation, how would you describe your decision-making process uh, when you go about testing new things or going about creating a plan for things that don't initially seem possible? Like, do you have like a three-step process or something that makes it easier to say, yes, this is worth exploring or no, not worth it? 
Oh, um, I don't know that I have a specific process that I would, what I do is if I'm not impulsive and just, I'm going to dive in head first and just like, you know, flail and drown maybe a little bit and get revived. I normally go right to like people that I respect in the industry. So like, so Heather, me and Aaron, that's another professor with uh, Rich Life CEO. The three of us are on our group thread. I mean, we talk pretty much every single day. And then I'm in this Columbus, Ohio group, which is like Steph Fox, Rowena, and Jen LeBlanc. You know, so we're at, I have that little group, and then I have mentors even outside of the industry. So I just kind of like start bouncing things. My husband's an, also a, a really good resource. Usually he he'll tell me if something's just absolutely crazy. Oh yeah, you're definitely gonna bankrupt you if you do that. <laughs> but I have proved him wrong for 13 years. So many crazy ideas. So I normally will go to someone and be like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. But I don't really, I wish I had a better process that was probably more responsible. Right. Impulsiveness, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. And I'm not even like a big researcher, which is funny. I'm just, a, I dive in, I just run mm. head first. I guess, but I guess you do have, like, if you're surrounding yourself by, like, with so many different, you know, people, there's, there's bound to be some people in those groups that are more researcher. And so, like, the the advice that give you, like, you know, comes from, like, a more research-backed point of view. That's probably why I surround myself with, like, Steph Fox and Heather and Aaron and them, because they're way smarter. (laughs) And they are the big researchers. So they'll definitely be like, no, bad idea, bad idea. Right. And isn't there a saying, like, if um, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Um, we have a lot more to cover moving into the self-limiting core beliefs that can impact our vision and businesses. And, you know, as a business owner yourself, please feel free to share whatever comes to mind when you hear any of the ones that I've curated for this chat. The idea is just to have a bit of a discussion about each myth, try to identify what main emotion is getting triggered and like what the fear is in hopes to make maybe make it easier to see how it can inhibit the business growth. So here's the first one. As an owner, you have to be fearless to succeed. Well, I mean, I think I'm told told the opposite. You have to do it afraid. <laughs> like, just don't have every. Because I, I do tend to want to have. I'm either jumping head first and like flailing and figuring it out, or I want everything and I have to think out all the what ifs and the shoulda and the couldas. Yeah. And then I'm just same. told like just do it, do it, do it afraid. You know. So I do do a lot of things afraid. Um, like moving when we move from commission to to being team-based pay, like that was probably the most scared I've ever been. Uh, That was a big one. So I don't know. I mean, I think that some people just get stuck in ruts, like just, just move, just do something. Like what you're doing is clearly not getting you the result you want, whether you're, you're functioning or, and you're barely profiting or you want to profit more, or you want to build a bigger team or you want to buy a bigger space. You just got to do something. And so many owners just freeze and get stuck without making any movement or choices, you know, because they are afraid of failing or they're afraid of looking stupid or whatever else. It's like, we just got to do it afraid. And then I think for pretty much most of us, we're okay with failing. Yeah. In fact, like some of our biggest, the reason why we are so successful is because we've failed so many times and we just get up and it's like not even a big deal anymore. It goes bruised for a second. I mean... I, my team knows, like, we pivot so quickly with things that, like, and they know. I'm like, I, all right, this crazy idea, this might not, nobody might buy one thing from this. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
we'll just cut it off tomorrow. No big deal. And, I'll, and we won't do it again. So I think uh, sometimes people are just afraid of doing anything. It's just like, just, yeah, just move. All right. What about the second one then? Seeking help is a sign of weakness. It's the same as like publicly admitting that I'm not good enough for the position or like these responsibilities. Yeah. Like I feel like that there's there's like a huge underlying of like shame in there or like fear of judgment or something. Mm-hmm. Some shame, but I think some some ego too. Like you are afraid, like at least myself, because I do sit in on some sales calls for Pip. It's you know I've been doing this so long. Well, yeah. And it's gotten you to this place and you're doing amazing. But if you want something different, you have to be willing to do right. something different. And if you don't have, you don't know what you don't know. And same thing when you, you know, have hired the same coaching company for five years and you're in the same place five years later. It's like at some point you have to just get out of being a creature of habit, take a little bit of risk, get uncomfortable. That's really, I think people avoid being yeah. uncomfortable. Like, it feels good to sit here, but I know it's not really what I want. I could be doing more, but I'm not really willing to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, I've never been a business owner myself, but I do know that personally I I do find comfort in, you know, the known. So I could see how, you know, it'd be hard for some people to move into new things like that. And, And especially if there's like, you know, a lot going on in the world, a lot going on at home, a lot going on in the business, like it all kind of adds up, right? And there's, there's, you know, so much that you can tackle all at once. So I guess like, I don't know if you have like an answer for this, but like, do you have advice even for how you deal with getting uncomfortable? Like, do you just surround yourself with people that keep on pushing you? (laughs) Yeah. Complacency is definitely like a huge fear of mine. Like I, I definitely need to be growing. I need to be moving. I need to be innovative. Like one of our core values that that my salon is being a trailblazer. Mm. So it's like I want to be one. I want to pioneer stuff. You know, like Heather's got an idea. We're we're throwing it in our salons. You know, all of the professors before we even launch it to our our salons that are in the program. It's like we we all crave that though. Like we like the chaos and the like excitement that that brings, you know? Um, Yeah. And you said something that caught my attention there. Like, I wonder if, you know, by default, like each of us have our own set of values, personal business, you know, what we show up with for work or, or just in our personal lives. You said, for, for example, that you value being a trailblazer. I wonder if our fear could be mellowed out if we made a more conscious choice every day to really live by those values that um, are dear to us. Because like if you're doing it consciously, right, like maybe you'd identify the smaller steps to get from point A to point B more easily. Um, I think that we are, I don't know if this is going to answer or help, but I think that we're also, when we're on social media so much, we're all glued to our cell phones all day long some sort of platform. So we see what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. So like what we often say to a lot of the salons that we're on calls with, it's like, you're just going to have to borrow our evidence. Like if you, you obviously came to us for, you saw us somewhere, you heard us say something that just sparked a little, Oh, that sounds different. Or who are these chicks? (laughs) Um, I, we, we, we say that a lot. Like you just gonna have to borrow our evidence. Mm. Like we, we're the only ones in the industry now. I don't know if you saw. We have a, a a guarantee now. We guarantee we will be we will bring in a certain dollar amount 
in addition to what you're doing in the first 90 days, or we will let you out of your contract and refund you your full investment back. It's like, we're that confident in what we freaking do. Damn. That's cool. That's really, really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. But it's like, we we're in, we are all salon owners. We're all movers and shakers. We're all walking and doing this. This We're in the same struggle bus as you. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of our students think that we're like so untouchable. Like they'll have walkouts or, you know, things will change and they're crying and just like, we just don't understand how it isn't happening to y'all. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold up. No, mm. I just, just parted ways with two girls. I don't know, $300,000. Like, you don't think that stings? It's just, we, you love these people too, which that sucks, you know? Yeah. And you see the money that you're going to potentially, but then it's like, no, the negativity that walked out with that, but it's such a weight. It's a weight for them because they're happy now. And it's a weight for us, this whole team. We get to continue to move forward. And we get to rebuild so much quicker because we're so much freaking smarter every time it happens. Yeah. So it's like, what what's taken me a year or two years to get that back? I'll get that back in six months. I'm built a hairdresser in two years or less. So it's like, get to just learn from your lessons and like, I don't know, just wipe those tears and move on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes that's just what you got to do. Um, okay, here's another myth. Being profitable implies ripping off customers some way or another. What comes to mind when you hear that? What fear do you link that to? It's, I don't know. I was reading a, a thread the other day, and it's like stylists saying the same thing about owners. Like, oh, it's, it's, it's actually under one of ours about how we don't pay retail commissions, not my particular salon, but a lot of the professors, we don't because we use that 10% to pay for education, pay time off, benefits, you name it. We just use better ways than putting this $100 on their paycheck that they have no value. And by the time you pay payroll taxes and I pay payroll taxes, now you're looking at like maybe $50. I don't know, I'm just using random numbers. Yeah. But they there's just this mindset of like, everyone's taken from everyone. It's like, we, there's enough to go around one, two, it's a business. Like we have to be profitable or else we're going to close our doors and we're all going to be looking for another job. And even if you were on your own, no one makes a hundred percent of anything. Yeah. But there's this, like, they see a million dollars walk in and they literally, I, I just don't understand the concept. They think that there's literally a million dollars sitting in the bank. <laughs> Say, well, who do you think bought all that hair color? I don't have a sugar daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who do you think paid the three girls to answer the phones to 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 add on to your book and to pre-book them and to recommend home care? And I don't know. I don't really know if I have an answer for you for that one. Mm. Well, honestly, like I was listening to your answer and all I kept thinking about was scarcity mindset. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. So maybe that's something to investigate. Yeah. And I do think that there are commission owners out there and hourly owners or just rental, all of it. There are different mm-hmm. owners out there. There are owners like us that are like, want their teams doing really well. They want to make sure that they have benefits in any form, whether it's traditional or non-traditional. They want their teams to be taken care of and loved on. And then you have owners that aren't. They just have a building and a bunch of people happen to be doing hair in there. So it's like there's they're jaded. They have past experiences. They've worked in a shitty commission salon probably. And they associate every owner that's a commission or an hourly as a shitty owner because of their experience. But that's not the case. Like there's a lot of real. I mean, in fact, most owners aren't even taking any money home. Yeah. 
people that their teams are paid for. And it's like, if they knew that, but they're so scared to share their financial state of their salons, that it's like, I mean, we tell our owners, we're like, they'll ask us like, how do we handle something? We're like, go to your team and be honest. They need to know that you freaking can't pay the bills and that you're borrowing money to pay their payroll. Cause they have no idea. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate because it's probably at the root of a lot of unnecessary tension or hard conversations, or maybe even conflict in certain salons. Um, Jen, I'm, I'm aware that time's flying and I've got a few more myths. So I want to move on to the next one and I think you'll love it. Um, <laughs> my job as an owner is to worry about the business. My accountant's job is to worry about profit and numbers. Uh, Avoidance? <laughs> yes. You know, you should know your numbers. I mean, you know the money that's coming in and out of your banking account way better than your accountant does. And I don't know, for me, it's like a game. Like if I, it, when you start to know your numbers, you be, it's very satisfying. Even when it's bad, you're like, okay, you you know what to do to turn this around. You know what you need to bring in this week. You're going to get with your team and you're going to rally them and recommend retail. And you're going to set an add-on. Like there's so many things that we do. Like, cause even I have weeks that are crappy weeks, mm. you know, we're in a season right now where everyone this quarter is down a little bit more than, than in past years, but I'm not going to sit and whine about it. I'm going to go figure it out. And I'm going to bring more money. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, but my accountant isn't going to do that. She's just putting a bunch of numbers in a column. I mean, their job is very important, but they're not, you need to know where you're overspending and where you're underspending. Right. You need to know if you can afford to take on a bigger space. You need to know if you can afford to hire more people, if you need three people up front or if you just need one. Mm-hmm. And you don't know that. You're just looking at one banking account with all the money in it and you think, oh, I got money because you got a chunk of money sitting there. Well, 60% of it's sister's payroll or more. Honestly, yeah. And, and and a lot for a lot of people, there's probably a lot of shame and ego in that. Like the shame of not necessarily understanding the numbers, the ego of not wanting to ask for help because then it shows yeah. that you don't know how to go about it or understand it. Yeah. It reveals like quote unquote weakness, I guess. I mean, they don't teach you this in hair school. And most of us, like, yeah. I mean, I dropped out of high school. I didn't even finish high school. So it was all I ever wanted to do was to be a hairstylist and be in the beauty industry. I didn't even want to own a salon. It was like, Hell no, I'm not stupid. <laughs> I'll never do that. But out of necessity, you know, 13 years ago at 24 years old, I didn't have a choice. I had to figure it out. So, um, you're and not, there's no shame like, in that, you know, there's no shame right. in asking for help. I made it up as I went and I made a lot of mistakes and I had no idea. Um, it's not something that you're learning when you're in, in beauty school, but just because we're artists, like we do need to blend the business side with it. It's just, it's a business just like any other business that does, I don't know, grooming pets or your dentist, like there's numbers and budgets and spreadsheets involved in all industries. Hair should not be different. 100%. So listen, I've got one last myth. Opportunities don't always come knocking at the door. So whenever there's an opportunity for growth, we have to take it. I'm leaning towards saying that that's just a recipe for spreading yourself thin, but I'll let you have your take on that. Yes, I, um, you know, because if you remember, I'm impulsive and I get overexcited. So I have definitely <laughs> been talked out of things from mentors, like specifically a, a second location in my small town because a gym came to me and wanted to put my salon in their gym. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have hit the mother load. And it was a <laughs> 
like Steph literally said, like, are you doing this for option for reason A or are you doing this because it's a stroke to your ego? Option B. And I was like, option B. (laughs) (laughs) Sharing guests like this town is way too small. One and two, then they're going to get a portion. They're sticking their hand in my pot. So I have definitely had to uh, pump the brakes, learn to like sleep on things a little bit. Yeah. So that I can say no to some things because I definitely could see how I could have gotten myself in, into trouble. So, no, uh, you can make opportunity for sure, but you can also say yes to opportunities you don't need to. And I see it all the time when they take on bigger spaces or mm. bring on a, another. Do you think that's the biggest thing that happens? Bigger spaces, yes. And, and, and tons of product lines. Like, why? Don't do it. It's just more crap for you to have to spend and stock and run out of like make life as easy as possible when you're in the, <laughs> the business owner. Don't make things more complicated for yourself. There's just ways yeah. you can split shift like we've done, you know, I'm and I'm speaking from someone that's in a way bigger location than I need. Now I bought the building, it's a real estate investment and I got it at a pretty pretty decent price. But I have poured way more money than I should have into this building over the last eight years that I've been in this location, but right. I, it's way too much space. I don't, I don't even need half of it. And I, I could literally run like two salons in a 2000 square foot place. Cause I would just split shift them and I, they would never see each other. I'd have salon A and salon B. Mm-hmm. And some salons have been doing that. Like I remember having a conversation with a few people mm-hmm. um, over the pandemic who switched to that kind of model. Um, listen, Jen, we've made it to the end of what felt like a, a, a round of quick fire questions, but instead of questions, um, a lot of back and forth on self-limiting beliefs. We're at the time of the year where we all start thinking about what would need to happen to make the next year matter. So here are my last two questions for you. Um, how do you know that the business goals you're setting are actually solid and helpful to the growth of your business? And then what would maybe be the most important resolutions that you'd have salon owners put on their list for 2023? Um, so the business goals to set for 2023, I would definitely say work with a mentor or a coach, hire somebody, spend the money on yourself and on your business. You won't regret it. I would interview multiple people for sure to see what's the best for you. Um, I use data typically to set goals. Like obviously if, if you're growing anywhere from 10 to 15% and you want to push a little harder, like if data has shown that you've done that in the last five years, year after year, then I would push a little harder. You have to, you know, obviously consider the climate we're in and hiring and parting ways and adding services or taking service away. There's a lot of factors. So yeah, work with someone for sure. And then resolution, <laughs> um, one, start paying yourself because I mean, it's countless how many owners do not take a paycheck or live off of what they do behind the chair, which is what keeps them behind the chair forever. And being the biggest producer, it's like, what is your exit strategy? You can't do this forever. And what if you built six stylists doing what you're doing behind the chair, as opposed to you, and you get to create the greatest place in the world to work at so that you have these six people that want to stay as lifers and then you're not the one being behind the chair every day, all day long, because eventually that's going to come to an end. It's like you can't do both and, and, and build, you know? So I'd say definitely reducing time from behind the chair. You don't have to retire completely. Like majority of us are. And I like to make sure that people don't think, oh, if I work with Pip University, I have to stop doing hair. No, you can still do hair. 
we're just going to teach you how to balance right. life because you have to be at home with your families. You know, you can't pour from an empty cup. And then you also need to build like the, the reason why we're not hanging on a team members past two years is because we're not putting into the time into our team members to build them as much as they want to be built. So then they think they have to go do it on their own. So if you're not behind the chair, you can do that. Um, and then I would set a profit goal. I'd probably set a profit goal before I even set a revenue goal because you're probably not pulling anything. And I would say like this year, no matter what, I'm take I'm paying myself 8% of what walks in and I'm going to also take, I don't know, 10%. Make up a number. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, thanks so much for sharing all of that. I hope people listening were taking notes. Um, lots, lots and lots to reflect on, I think, uh, over the holidays and anyways, and ahead of the new year. Jen, um, I'd love for people to be able to reach out to you. So what's the best way of getting in touch if anyone has any questions around the things that we've talked about today? Yeah, so you can email me if you like, because sometimes the, the DMs, if we're not friends, they go get hidden. I yeah. Try to, yeah, try to hop, check that pretty often, but that's where they like to hide. So friend me, maybe like something, that way it doesn't get hidden there. But you can reach out to Pip University as well. Um, we have a private owner's page, and then we have a public page we're on Instagram. And then my email is just jen at mybellastyle.com. Fantastic. Well, I hope you know that I appreciate the time you've spent uh, having this conversation with me today. It's always such a pleasure to discuss things with you. Like, you know, I said it at the start. I'll say it again. Um, I'll have everything linked in the show notes. And listen, Jen, I hope you have wonderful holidays. Thanks so much once again. Yes, same. Thank you so much for having me. If you're looking for something to watch on Netflix over the holidays, I urge you to grab yourself a cup of your favorite hot drink, a notepad, and put on Jonah Hill's most recent documentary film, Stutz. In candid conversations with the Hollywood actor, leading psychiatrist Phil Stutz explores his early life experiences and unique visual model of therapy. I had heard good things about the documentary before watching it myself, but to be honest, the 96-minute film resonated with me on a level that I can't quite put into words just yet. What I do know is everyone, and perhaps even more so anyone struggling with imposter syndrome or self-limiting beliefs can benefit from Stutz methods, famously known as the tools. And by the way, I'm suggesting this entirely out of my own personal experience watching and reflecting on the concepts shared in the film. So if you do give it a listen and you want to have a conversation about how it resonated with you, please know that my DMs are open. Let's bring some forward motion into everything that we do next year, and let's do it together. On that note, thanks for listening to Forest FM. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. As always, you can head over to forest.com forward slash FM to catch all the latest from the show and check out the links and resources mentioned throughout the episode. And if you've got any feedback, be sure to let us know. Send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Forest FM episodes air weekly, sharing inspiring stories from the salon floor and amplifying community voices all over the globe. In your salon, we're at the heart of it. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments.